0: You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California here today. Very nice day in this uh, pandemic-y world that we live in. Uh, But anyway, we'll continue to try to make the best of it. And uh, With that said, you are listening to this podcast, so that should be an improvement to your day immediately. Another improvement would be is if you visited WealthFormula.com because there's lots of free stuff, and who doesn't love free stuff? Lots of free books, downloads, et cetera, webinars, educational stuff, but definitely go out and check that out In addition, um, that is where you sign up for various lists, and one of the lists I want to continue to urge you who qualify to sign up for is the Investor Club. It's just called Investor Club for short, but that is where the magic happens. You listen to this show, and we don't really talk about specifics and investments and stuff, but if you are an accredited investor, meaning you make $200,000 a year or $300,000 if filing jointly... Uh, for two years, or you have a net worth outside of your house, uh, your personal residence of over a million dollars, or I think there are some new things that say if you have some certifications, uh, you may want to look that up. But if you have those, then all of a sudden you are deemed to be intelligent and enough by the SEC to participate in a private placement. A private placement basically is uh, that's that's what we do in Investor Club. It's private investments, only available to accredited investors. But if you uh, have not signed up and you qualify, you're missing out. You are letting you know all of this education go to waste because the magic happens in the club. Join the club, Investor Club at WealthFormula.com. Now, as far as today goes. I, I uh, wax poetic sometimes about my entrepreneurial past. And although this is really not an entrepreneur show, right? We're not talking about, you know, business and, you know, how to how to be a fancy entrepreneur. I mean, yeah, being an entrepreneur is a big part of my life. It has been, uh, and it continues to be in one shape, way, or form, but, um, you know, I had a, a friend uh, by the name of Dean Graziosi in, in, uh, in a group that I was in, and he said something to me that was pretty striking uh, one time. He said, saying, yes, uh, will get you to a million, saying, no, will get you to a hundred million. And, of course, Dean's uh, business itself is over a hundred million dollars per year. Um you know, that's uh, that's uh, the advice that I got from, you know, a, a centimillionaire, right? And, and while on the surface it may seem like, you know, one of those quaint little things that rich people say to sound profound, I got to tell you, uh, I really believe that there is tremendous power in the word no. You see, as you may know, I have been uh, throughout my life post-residency a bit of a what you would call flaming entrepreneur, right? I got um, this bug after reading Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrant and all of a sudden, you know, I got this idea. What? Wait a second. What am I doing? I'm an entrepreneur. And the next thing you know, I discovered that part of me and I was on fire. It was almost like one of those kids who grows up really repressed, you know, in a really strict family and all of a sudden goes to college and starts to party too hard and starts doing drugs and, you know, things like that. I mean, that. That's not what I was doing. But the point is that that's the kind of, you know, uh, repression I felt. And all of a sudden, the discovery of being an entrepreneur just kind of was a liberating feeling, you know, um, and, and that early on, uh, there's no question there was a period of my life where I was chasing too many shiny objects. And you know how I talk about now how I like boring stuff. Well, that wasn't always the case. I'd like the, you know, the sexier stuff, the more interesting, uh, more parts, and you know, crazier it sounded, the more interesting it was. You know, I said yes to everything, uh, and you know, the yeses were usually to my own ideas that I had about you know creating a new business online, doing this, doing that, whatever. And um, it was really fun. You know, it was fun. Like the parting is fun until the hangover. And for me, it was fun until I realized that being entrepreneurially promiscuous is not necessarily a profitable thing to do. So uh, that culminated in 2014. And that time I had two very successful businesses And it was literally I'm just making millions of dollars a year. I mean, it was like really good thing. If I had just you know taken that money and invested a bunch of it into more and more real estate, it really wouldn't have been the smart move. But what I did is I took these uh, businesses and then basically tried to over leverage myself into growing too fast. Put a bunch of new offices in different states, and you know took on all the marketing costs, and well. I was undercapitalized, over my head, and went down uh, burning. I lost millions of dollars in the process, and that really was my come to Jesus point, where I realized that you know what, I gotta get control of my desires. I have to, I have to get control of myself. And and you know, listen, it was a fun ride, but I had to be more methodical going forward. And since then, I have to tell you that it's been really good. You know, I've trained myself to say no to pretty much every opportunity that comes my way. I only consider, yes, under very narrow circumstances, and I'll tell you, this is the truth. The first, the opportunity has to be something that I could very quickly see scaling to a million dollars or uh, or more in income, uh, profit, and also, uh, you know, and, and that may sound, uh, sound like, a lot. But I mean, what's the point of getting involved in spreading yourself thin if it's not going to pay a lot? Um, the other thing is that uh, the next criteria was that, you know, it, it couldn't have a lot of overhead because that business I was talking about in 2014 uh, was a huge amount of overhead, uh, multiple surgical centers, multiple states. I mean, it, it just it won't make that mistake again. And finally, you know, almost sort of the golden rule here. The new endeavor could not put anything that I'm currently doing and doing well and having success in, in jeopardy. So, you know, that's fairly broad. But for example, I won't sacrifice ongoing cash flows from one business to support another for a prolonged period of time. You know, sure, an initial injection, but it can't just keep feeding there. And I won't get involved with anything that'll require a disproportionate amount of time when considering financial return. But it, you know, and I should point out, it's not just financial return. I mean, some things, if you really have fun, sure, you know, but you make sure you're not doing something that, um, you know, that you don't feel like it's worth your time or at least gives you some kind of fulfillment. Now, these things sound pretty obvious. I'm thinking, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, these are fantastic rules, uh, except for the fact that they're totally basic. Well, try telling that to some entrepreneur possessed. It doesn't work that way, it's not that easy. And whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor, you do need to develop this ability to say no, which you often will get naturally after you develop some scar tissue. But saying no is huge. Now, there is a hazard on the opposite end of the spectrum as well, though. Uh, For example, I know guys who are really successful in business as entrepreneurs, and they keep burying all their money into the same business to grow it more and more. Uh, you know, people who you know their only source of income is high W-2 income, and uh, they don't think that there's anything in the world that could keep that money uh, from stopping. You know, and and to me that puts these people at a high risk of single point failure. So the moral of the story is that while it's probably best to lead with no, you should be open to saying yes once in a while for the right opportunity. Now you may be a highly successful individual who makes a ton of money through your income, but what if you lost a job or unable to continue to do it? And what if there was a way for you to create a significant income that was not considered W two stuff and provided significant tax benefits? And well, that's where being a business owner has its biggest advantages. You can't get fired and you're going to pay less taxes. However, Obviously, everybody knows, and this is the truth, starting a business is pretty darn risky and most of them fail. So how do you mitigate that risk? Especially if you're not really an entrepreneurial type to begin with. Maybe you're an operations person. Well, one option, uh, uh, and it's a potentially good option, is to consider getting involved with franchises. Uh, This is an area that I've considered for years as another stable sort of, you know, passive income source. And frankly, after this week's interview that we'll play shortly uh, with Kim Daly, I'm seriously considering it. So when we come back, this is a really fun interview I did uh, with Kim Daly, who's really, uh, really fantastic. So uh, when we come back, an interview with Kim Daly on the idea of buying business franchises. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Kim Daly. Now Kim is, uh, well, she has been in this space, this franchise uh, space for a long time for the last 20 years, and she's been helping people achieve uh, their financial goals, enabling them to get into the franchise uh, opportunities that are most appropriate for them. Uh, she's got a lot of, you know, incredible uh, background, but you know her skills uh, are really matching a client's background interests and skills. And ultimately life goals and to matching them into top franchise opportunities and so today we're going to pick our brain get some insight into you know what may seem like a daunting process but one that you know I've considered I know a number of people have considered in the past and with that let me introduce Kim Daly. Kim welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Buck. It's great to be here.
0: So, Kim, I want to just start out by asking you, like, how did you get into this uh, into this space as a as a franchise consultant? How did you uh, arrive there?
1: I mean, are you questioning that I didn't grow up saying, <laughs> "Hey, I want to be a franchise consultant"?
0: <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> Said right. no
1: one ever. <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I
1: I I fell into it. Like you know, a lot of people fall into their thing. I I was an entrepreneur and had started many businesses, and um, the first. Uh, job and the only job I actually had after college, I was on my way to med school and I answered a classified ad in the newspaper. Remember the classified ads Yeah, (laughs) and it, it was for a franchise company and it changed the direction of my life. Um,
0: so you were going yeah, to be a doctor, is that right? Is that the I did. Okay, you wanted yeah, to be a doctor. Yeah, yeah.
1: So growing up there were two things I wanted to be, Buck. I wanted to be a motivational speaker Yeah, and I want and I want or I want and I wanted to be a doctor. But like how does one become a motivational speaker really, right? So yeah. you go to med school and you want to help people, you go to med yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. But I here I am, you know, many years later. And basically, I am a motivational speaker. I mean, I inspire people to the dream of business ownership and using my own entrepreneurial experiences and the last eighteen years as a franchise consultant and really becoming an expert uh, and a voice in this industry to help people really understand. What franchising is what's the real value proposition what are you getting what are you owed what are you not owed right, right. <laughs> how to well, explore I mean, franchising how to ask the right questions so you, that's what i do
0: have you been in the you know have you yourself uh own franchises and and i mean i, I just um, obviously don't know a whole lot about your background but have you actually you know uh, owned them yourselves and is that part of the experience
1: yes so this business that i'm in called fran choice It's a franchise, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's like a franchise. I mean, we don't have a franchise agreement, we have a consultant agreement, but it's the same setup. You said you're from Minnesota. We are headquartered in Eden Prairie. Oh, okay. Uh, So, yeah, so I I am supported. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm supported by a corporate office. I pay royalties back uh-huh. to my uh, back to my corporate office. And so we, in they go out, what they do is they go out and they contract with the very best franchisors. So they're doing all of the homework for me in terms of creating an inventory of opportunities mm-hmm. that I can bring to people so that my full-time effort can be dedicated to finding investors who want to learn about franchising and then bringing the two together like a matchmaker.
0: Got it got it. Okay, so um let's talk about um you know the the what is what first of all what is a franchise? What is uh and and why should anyone consider you know buying into a franchise?
1: Okay, sure. So you know a franchise investment really. I'm going to go for the the investors' perspective. That's yep, sort of the sure. audience. So a franchise mm-hmm. investment is all about buying down the learning curve of starting mm-hmm. a business, right? Because you're partnering yourself with people who've already gone out there and figured it out. So the entrepreneurial path is to create as you go, right? The trial and error, the 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 uh, missed opportunities from spending time trying to figure things out, and yep. that can become very costly right? Sure. And, that, and that's why, in fact, many entrepreneurs fail, mm-hmm. mainly because they run out of money before they really figure out how to make money. So here on the franchising path, where from day one, you're going to pay a franchise fee, right, which goes to the franchisor and that buys you access to this proven business plan, the initial training, the vendors, technology, a proven marketing plan and ongoing support. So it's this idea that, you are in business for yourself but not by yourself. So you're not that entrepreneur out there in the wilderness chopping down trees hoping that you're making up a, tra- yeah. a trail that, you know, leads mm-hmm. somewhere good. You're paying a fee to walk on a trail where the path has already been created and you're going to be supported all along the way. So that's kind of like tactically what we're doing is we're buying this we're buying down the learning curve because we're buying into this proven business plan. But ultimately when I'm really working with my investors, I really want to make a connection for them to the partnership. So it's one thing to buy into a proven plan but it's another thing to buy into an organization of very strong leadership where the people that you're giving your royalty dollars to have your best interest at heart, where they are out there every day looking to grow the opportunity, keep your your opportunity relevant to the times, like a time like we're in, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've always said for years that widgets will not make an investor happy long-term like buying a, you know, a particular business because you love the product. Leadership is what makes you happy as an investor. When your leadership can pivot your company in an adverse time, can keep your company growing and keep it relevant to the competition and to the changing customer demand, that's, I mean, we're in business to make money. So that's ultimately what keeps your business thriving and growing and makes you money, right? So ultimately what you're really buying in a franchise is you're buying a relationship.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. So, and, and, uh, let's talk about, you know, just comparing that and contrasting that with, you know, other options. And, and for example, um, you know, I, uh, before we got on, I mentioned, you know, I've started a few different businesses myself. Um, I would say that it's definitely not for everybody to do that. Um, because I think there's, as you mentioned, there's a significant learning curve frequently, uh, your idea ends up either you know doing great or you end up losing a bunch of money uh, and then you also fundamentally I think have to have a certain itch um, and and I think that that might be a little different from your typical franchise um, person who's really looking potentially on something and say hey I don't need to be this guy who came up with this new idea I just I like this idea of running a business and I don't really want to waste a bunch of money. I mean, is that kind of the major difference between starting from scratch and uh, franchising?
1: hundred percent. So well said. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Franchisees want to take somebody else's idea, run with it and make money. And, you know, I talk about building wealth through, through franchising and the wealth gets created through the scale. Like it could take an entrepreneur five years to figure out the business and get it up and going. And in that five year time period, I could take a franchisee who could own five locations of whatever they're doing. Right. Because again, Not sitting and figuring anything out from day one, you are going, you're moving toward profitability because you have this proven plan in front of you and you're executing and you're being um, held accountable, you know, to, to execute and to go.
0: Yeah. And then, and then the other option of course, is to look and say, you know, go to one of these sites like biz, buy, sell, blah, 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 you know, and, um, take a business that, um, you know, that is currently, on sale that may not be a franchise uh, and potentially um, buy something like that. Um, I uh, honestly have looked in that space before because, um, again, just having some various interests and thinking, well, plug and chug, let's do it. The challenge there I've found is um, being a guy who started businesses on my own. I I know there's always stuff buried in closets that – that if you buy something unless it's a very very significantly large business uh, with operations and things in place and management that you can get potentially get screwed <laughs> is that skeletons
1: in the closet yeah right. is that kind of
0: well, and I don't mean to be giving you the answers but I'm I'm guessing what the problems are with some of the other you know uh, the other approaches to business ownership is that how you would is that kind of what you see in that space? Yeah,
1: you know what, you know what, Buck? I mean, when I, when I meet someone and I'm asking, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to use this business for? There are many ways to skin the cat, right? Mm-hmm. Franchising is just one option. I certainly don't try to push everybody into a franchise investment. It's not right for everybody. And for that person who may be looking to recover a corporate salary, let's say you've been severed from your job and you're looking to, you know, recover 200 or $300,000 in income, like, within three or four months, I mean, starting a business from scratch is not the answer, right? It's not going to happen. So buying an existing business for sale could be a better fit. But the thing you have to, you have to know is that if you're buying a business that's throwing off that kind of cash, you're paying for that, right? Some multiple of that. And so that that ups the risk because now you got to put down, you know, lots and lots and lots of money compared to if you have the time to kind of allow the business to ramp And like you said, you get to be there for every, you know, hiccup in the business. When when people come to me and ask me about buying an, an existing business for sale, I say it's sort of like the difference between having a baby and adopting a teenager, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you if you adopt a teenager and you haven't been there to like develop the personality, yeah. Yeah. Like, and you don't really know like why they have a chip on their shoulder, or yeah. other than that teenagers all have chips on their shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you right. know, I see where I'm going with that versus when you have a baby and you're there for every milestone in that child's life and you're developing and nurturing that personality, then when they grow up, you know exactly how they got to who they are. Right? right, and that's sort of the that's exactly what you were saying, and that's yeah. sort of the difference between the two. But I mean, again, I help people buy into existing franchises that are for sale. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it really depends on the investor's goals and the time frame in which they would like to achieve those goals, assuming that they're they're realistic, and that's part of what I do as their consultant is to help them understand what reality looks like and to make sure that you know any of these owning a business, buying a business is the right option for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. And and so um when you um when you think about returns on these well there's two questions I have. One is if you could talk about um you know the cost and that sort of thing for franchises um you know as, as a function of returns, how how do you You know, how do you typically look at that or is it all over the board?
1: Okay. So the first thing I'll say is as the consultant in the process, (laughs) I never, ever make any earnings claims to anybody, right? It's just not my job. I'm not a business broker. I don't have a license to sell a franchise. So I I don't get into the um, idea of like answering the financial questions. Mm -hmm. What I do is I teach people what are the right questions to ask. I'm not a big fan of asking a business owner, like how much do you make? Because Mm -hmm. it depends. It depends on their, you know, what kind of tax, advantages they're taking advantage of it depends on how they finance their business are they paying off loans was it cash right there's too many depends in that question but so i'm going to teach my candidates how do you really learn the financial opportunity of a business more by understanding what owners are doing when they wake up to go drive that activity? Mm -hmm. Right? So I want to teach them how to create, turn every business sort of into a sales pipeline and understand like, where do I apply the gas to drive the maximum speed in this business? And you want to go to the top performing franchisees in a system to really hear what they're doing. Oftentimes people out of fear will say, you know, I think it's out of fear. They think, well, I'm going to talk to the people who who it hasn't worked out for. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, when you turn to the people who it hasn't worked out for, what is that really going to teach you? When you turn to the top performing people who've mastered the model to this point in its its growth, they're going to have a science to what they do, especially if they've been able to replicate those results year over year over year. So they can tell you logically, not emotionally, what is driving their top performance. Now, if you know what's driving top performance logically, then you equally know why people in your business will not be successful. So very often when you talk, talk to people who it hasn't worked out for, there's a lot of emotion and opinion behind their um, failure that I find oftentimes, no offense to anybody who's ever lost money because it is very disheartening, right? If you fail in your business, but oftentimes it's not the truth. It's just their truth. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a very evasive answer to your question. That's the best you're going to get.
0: Well, you know, we're we're a group of investors. A lot of times we want to we kind of want to cut to the chase. Get to chaser. the bottom line.
1: Get to the bottom um, line. The, you know,
0: and along that lines, you know, you you had you mentioned, okay, well you're trying to, you know, you lost the job, you're trying to replace income. Um uh, my uh my wonderful uh audience, um we many of us are spoiled rotten. We're just looking to make more money. All right, we're not <laughs> It's not a sob story. Um, it's just you know how do I make more money? And and you know from a tax uh, tax perspective, I've addressed the the idea of business ownership many times. The problem is that I've got uh, a number of of investors, listeners of this podcast, who are making you know multiple hundreds of thousands of years, you know, hundred of thousands of dollars, uh, multiple you know even multiple millions of dollars, and they are interested potentially in getting involved with business because what they're doing right now is say they're um, you know, let's say they're a neurosur- neurosurgeon making a million and a half a year and uh, they want, they want to do something in the business uh, space, but you know what, frankly, they're not going to be driving to work every morning. Uh, they're not, they, they, they may want to be more passive. They may be interested in potentially having, you know, some interest in in, in in managing managers, but not really beyond that is this something are franchises something that can be relatively passive uh, for individuals looking to create wealth through uh, owning businesses or is this a all you know all hands on deck kind of uh, thing?
1: It's a great question. And it's definitely can be used as a semi-absentee investment, unlike starting a business from scratch, that entrepreneurial sure. route, which would really require the owner to be there through every stage of it. So if you invest in the right type of business that ha- is set up for semi-absentee ownership, that can be manager run, that would rely on the manager's expertise to carry out the day-to-day functions rather than the owner's expertise, then then that, that could absolutely be achieved. And that's actually how... How you scale a business and really build that wealth, you know. And I, you'll ta- uh, talk to people about you really don't need experience. And some for some people that feels counterintuitive. And I'm like, well, you'll hire to the experience of the business. I need you to be the CEO who can manage managers who then will work in the business while you work on the business. Right. So in that semi absentee investor state, you might be putting in 10 to 15 hours a week at night or on the weekends, and it could even be less than that. There is a, a high highly selective group of businesses that are really more of an investor's play. They're more expensive like to get into. So there's always this trade-off of money for time. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the less time the owner would be putting in, the more infrastructure there has to be to support that business. Right. Mm-hmm. The more time you're willing to put in as the owner, the lower that investment could be because you're making up for that infrastructure with your own effort and time. Does Got that it. make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like anything yeah. else. I mean, I think the more, you know, generally speaking, the higher the risk, uh, you know, uh, you're not going to pay as much. And um, if you're looking for things that are uh, turnkey, you're going to pay more. So I mean, it's pretty pretty typical stuff. Exactly. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the fact that we are in a sort of, you know, an unusual time. You know, with this uh, whole uh, (laughs) pandemic thing. I don't know if you heard about heard about it. Um, And uh, how is it affecting you know? the types of businesses that you deal with, or is it all over the board? I mean, what, I'm I'm curious, you know.
1: Can you be a little more clear on what you're talking about? <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding. You know, I'm this just little kidding.
0: virus thing. <laughs> yeah. affecting some oh, that. People. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. oh You <laughs> didn't say
1: it. <laughs> gotcha. right. All right. So yeah, it's been an interesting time. And you know, this is again, when I say like widgets don't, Make investors happy long term, but strong leadership in a franchise does. Never has there been a better time in history in franchising than now to be looking at franchising because you can really see where there are strong cultures and, and strong leadership and stress where tests,
0: right? That's big panicking. stress tests.
1: Yeah, it totally is. Where, where franchisees are not panicking. There's been a pivot in their business model, maybe to a virtual platform, to a delivery service. So, I mean, I've seen franchisors um, eliminate royalties, turn corporate revenue streams like through online uh, purchases to back to their franchisees. Uh, reducing royalties, like all kinds of things have happened here to help save our franchisees. And by the by, the best of the best franchisors, I certainly don't speak for every franchise organization out there. I imagine there are some that are really struggling and the leadership hasn't really met the demands. But in my little... Uh, Santa Barbara boutique world <laughs> here at Franchise, which is the best of the best in franchising. Wait, Santa uh, Barbara? Franchisor- what are you talking
0: yeah. about? I didn't know you guys <laughs> were in Santa Barbara.
1: Hey, I used to live in Boca Raton. I uh, usually use that example. Because I like, <laughs> Boca is like the most perfectly manicured place. There you and go. That's, that's sort of like what we have here at, in my inventory. I'm not matching people to just any franchise out there. I'm matching them to the best of the best. And the best of the best as... Um, validated by their existing franchise owners. Like it's one thing to be ranked in the top 500 out of, you know, entrepreneurs top 500, but it's quite another when the majority of the franchise owners that my team would speak with say, you know, hey, I, I knowing what I know, a hundred percent, I would do this again. You know, even if you're not making the kind of money you got in for and they're willing to validate that they would do it again. I mean, that's amazing validation, yep. right? And during your due diligence process, as you work with me to explore franchise opportunities, to find the one that's like the best fit for you, um, a big portion of what we're going to do is we're going to go out and we're going to interview those existing franchise owners. And that question of, you know, how much money does it really take to get the business going and what kind of returns are there? We're actually going to address it to the people who've invested the money and who are making the return. The franchisor by law has to disclose this information in their franchise disclosure document. So the Federal Trade Commission regulates franchising. And yep. every year, a franchisor must produce what's called an FDD or a franchise disclosure document. It's kind of like the prospectus for a stock. Right. So it it entitles you, the investor, to full disclosure if there's ever been any lawsuits or bankruptcies, uh, any fees you're obligated to pay. And in there, there's a section on the initial startup cost. And there's also an earnings claim section. So we can pull numbers out of that franchise disclosure document. But I always try to coach my candidates to understand that a document is just that right? Mm -hmm. It's not a living, breathing thing that a business is. So in order to really understand the story that those numbers create, we have to be in relationship with the people. We have to be out there talking to the franchisor and then taking what we're learning in that book theory from the franchisor and validating that in the real world by talking to their existing franchisees. And ultimately, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a franchise is not yours to buy until the franchisor has offered you the opportunity. So the evaluation that you're going through, it's a mutual evaluation.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And
1: ultimately they say, hey, Buck, swipe, left, you're, swipe you're an right. amazing That's guy. A, I mean, <laughs> we think you're qualified. We want you, but do you want us? And at that point, then it's your business to say yes or no to.
0: Okay, so I, um, I am listening to this podcast and I'm like, oh gosh, you know, Buck has been telling me that my W-2 stuff, even though I'm making a lot of money, that I need to consider having some business ownership possibility. This franchising sounds really interesting. This Kim uh, Daily uh, uh, person sounds like she knows what she's talking about. Um, so what happens when I um, reach out to you, um, and we'll, we'll talk about how to reach out to you in a minute, uh, the person who's reaching out to you, tell us a little bit about the process that they go through uh, with, with you, uh, what that looks like, what you do in the whole process, um, you know, and, and then presumably to the point where you're purchasing some kind of, you know, where somebody's purchasing a, an asset.
1: Okay, great. I love that question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, The first thing I do in order to bring opportunities to someone is I have to get to know them personally, professionally, and financially. Who are you and what are you looking for? What are your dreams? What are your goals? What are you going to use this business investment for? Once we've clearly identified or outlined those uh, characteristics through a basic questionnaire and then about a one-hour consultation phone call, then I get to work and I go go do some research come back a few days later with what I believe are the top three to five options that have available territory where you would like your business to be and that match those characteristics that we've outlined together. So then I would make a high level introduction between you and the franchisors. I called this my my blind date, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, blind date round. It's uh-huh. like speed dating. You're yeah, going to yeah. start talking to franchisors yeah, swiping, and you're going to play the field and I'm going to become your dating coach and I'm going to uh-huh. teach you how to like keep your mind open and just okay. go with the flow and have some fun. There's so many ways to make money. I think that's like the most fascinating part of my business is we get trained on new concepts all the time. And it's like, what are they going to think of next? You know, there is, if there's a business for it, there's a franchise of it. And there's just, there's just so many ways to make money. So once you go through your blind date round and you kind of get your bearings and you have some thoughts and opinions about what I have found for you. Then we start working together to to pare this list down and to then I'm going to really get into the back end coaching. Like, how do you actually explore a franchise so that you can be competent, that you've asked the right questions, you've done all the right things. So when you're ready to say yes or no, you can feel very confident in your final decision. And I work with candidates for about one to two months. I've been doing this for about 18 years and I'm very consistent around that mm-hmm. six week mark. If this is the right thing for you, you don't have to spend six months figuring it out. Nobody, no offense, but no franchisor wants to date you for six months. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, we want decision makers. We want to, you know, get in there, learn the information, absorb it, move yeah. on to the next chapter, learn the information, absorb it, move on, and then complete that process and then just say yes or no. And all of my service—I should have started out with this—but everything I do, Buck, everything I do for people, it's free.
0: Okay, because you're because you're ultimately like a you know like a real estate agent then, right? In I'm the like sense- an
1: executive recruiter, like for franchising, right? So,
0: so they I pay get paid they pay you by the
1: franchisor.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah.
1: It. So it's free. You you people are like, Really? You're not gonna hit me with the back and feet? Never. Uh-huh. I'm gonna offer you all kinds of coaching. But on the flip side of that, what I tell people is when they get if they get argumentative with me, I'll be like, Look,
0: you're fired. you're
1: not, quiet, <laughs> you're not paying me any money, and you don't have to take any advice I'm ever gonna give you, right? right. I, I, there's no reason for me to mislead you, but ultimately I, it's your life. It's your decision. So I'm just here to guide you if you want my guidance. But at the end of the day, people are making decisions on their own.
0: Yeah. Understood. Let's talk about the, 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 the what goes into that. So you make the introduction, but it doesn't just end up with an introduction, right? I mean, you, you're going to do some due diligence together. You're going to say, well, how are you looking at this? These are the issues that you're you know, that you need to look at, okay, let's, let's look at their uniform circular or whatever those things are called. Um, what are the things I need to look at? I mean, I, I presume all of that's part of the, the, the process from the, the consulting side.
1: Absolutely. Yep. And it used to be called a uniform, a uniform franchise offering circular, yep. excuse me. And then it got changed to the franchise disclosure document. Got so it. You have looked at franchising before. I I told you, uh, (laughs) you know,
0: I have, uh, uh, I mean, I have entrepreneurial ADD and so I've done, I've looked at anything and part of what makes me pretty good at what I do on the investing side is my, you know, my, uh, my desire to constantly be looking at things. So yeah, I have looked at uh, very briefly. I mean, I've never really learned enough. I've learned enough to be dangerous where. I could, you know, I may have gone to directly to a franchise and said, yeah, you might wonder what it would be like to own a bunch of uh, subways. And then they sent me a big, you know, packet, which was called the uniform circular at one point. And I was like. Yeah, I'm not going to go look through this. I'm not going to. No, do that, so. I, I
1: save people time. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, yes. If you're going to sign a franchise agreement, I think you do need to have familiarize yourself with all parts of that franchise disclosure yeah. document. But that's where I come in. So I'm going to help you go. You know, I, I tell people, look, in the beginning, when you're dating multiple franchisors, you want to know what's in it for you, and what's in it for you is the money. So we're mm-hmm. just going to pull them money out of that FDD first. Mm -hmm. And we're going to play with the money, of the investment and the ROI, because if that doesn't make sense, you're not going to want to go any further. Why do you need to know how you're going to sell your business, which is part of the FDD, if the numbers don't make sense for you, right, to even want to invest in it. So that's what I do. I help save people time and focus them on what's important. I'm going to teach you when it's time to go interview those franchise owners. What are the questions? What should I be asking? We talk about the psychology of interviewing business owners because it's really important that as you're meeting people who own a business, that you don't create a limiting belief for yourself about what's possible based on the people that... At your meeting in the franchise, right? I, I'm, I, I wanna teach you again how to figure out how to drive that gas pedal to your own level of performance. It's something, a buck, that I did in my business here at Fran Choice. I was an average performing, inconsistent performing consultant Uh for many years, for the first eight years. And then I decided to get serious in my business and really maximize what I could control. And one year later, I had built the largest franchise consulting business ever that had ever been Mm. built. And so then I didn't want to be a one hit wonder. So then I really had to examine my numbers and figure out the science of what I was really doing to drive that result. And then once I did that and repeated it for a couple of years, a couple of other very smart consultants came to me and were like, Hey, let me do what you do. I gave them my science and now one of them goes on and doubles what I do. Right. And now Uh I also share this science with so this is Let's
0: your you you came up with this franchise. This is your franchise. Or are you? I'm sorry. No. Okay. No. I
1: just jacked the level of performance oh, okay. in my got business. It, got it. Got it. To the, and so what you I'm trying like to a say is that super
0: McDonald's, like a ultra super, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, let's say that, let's put in a project concern. Let's say that you're validating a business right. and the average owner you're talking about is I'll use basic numbers is pulling out a hundred thousand. Uh-huh. What I, I don't want my candidates to feel like that's a limitation. Like I can only make a hundred thousand Right. There should be no limit. I mean, if you have a, if you, in some businesses, there is an actual cap to how big one location can get. And then that's why you'd have to build, you know, two and three and four and five locations. But that's what I'm explaining that just because the average person in a franchise is performing to a certain level, that's not all that's possible. There's always going to be one person who can break free from the pack and produce twice as much or three times as much as everybody else. And when you're validating a franchise, I want my candidates to go to those people who've broken free from the pack, the top 10% of the performers to find out what are they doing to drive that type of, of result, rather than kind of settling for, well, okay, the average performing person is doing this. And so that's kind of the number I have in my head. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's a, that can be a very limiting belief to begin your business with.
0: Understood. Well, good. Um, what am I missing? Am I missing anything? Is there anything that, that you think that uh, we ought to know about this process that we haven't already talked about? I mean, obviously there's a lot to it, but as an introduction...
1: Yeah, you know, one thing we haven't talked about are the tax advantages that some franchise businesses can create. So mm-hmm. you mentioned we talked about the investor mindset and coming in yep. more as a semi-absentee investor, and I have some people that have significant cash flow from a W two job, um, and they're looking for tax savings or tax sure. shelters with the business, not even necessarily cash flow in the first few years. It's more to create that tax shelter, and I I also have businesses that fit those investors as well. Mm -hmm. So you can look at franchising as replacing your W-2 job. Like you've been unemployed or you've been downsized or right-sized, whatever. And you're looking to reinvent yourself, right? You're 52, 54. And you're like, listen, if I go back, I may get laid off in two or three more years. So maybe it's better for me to consider just reinventing myself for myself at this stage. There's that guy who wants to dive in full term and full time and maybe over time, become a semi absentee owner. But then there's the investors such as you mentioned, like, you know, physicians or people that have thriving businesses that are making a lot of money, but those to make that money, it requires their time and attention. Like my business requires my time and attention. Mm -hmm. So I have other passive investments that don't require Kim. I'm passionate about what I do and I want to be here, but you know, there's some point in my life where no offense to my people, but I don't always want to have to be tied to my desk in order to you know, have income coming in. So we all have to consider ways to build that revenue that doesn't require us to wake up and exchange our time for money. Kind right. Of. And then so there's that investor mindset. And and a lot of those those investor mindset businesses also, as I mentioned, can come with some pretty good tax advantages for those people who, again, are trying to offset big income they're making in their W-2 job or other investments.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, specifically, I think, you know, we talk a lot about tax efficiency in this uh, this program, you know. A lot of people are going to be interested in, I think, um, a couple of things. One is uh, you know, the potential depreciation and elements of that, but also do, um, to look at these opportunities as potential passive assets and start building those buckets of passive income up that we can do a lot more with. So exactly. um, very interesting stuff. Uh, Kim, how do we, uh, how do we get a hold of you?
1: Okay. So my website is thedailycoach.com and that's my last name, D A L Y, The Daily Coach. I love to give people a little daily dose of Kim Uh Daily. So on my website, I have videos, I have testimonials. I mean, I cover all kinds of business coaching subjects in my video library. I have testimonials where I've gone into the storefronts of people that I've helped change their life and some of the work I'm the most proud of. I love all of my people death. So I ask everybody, even those people who didn't buy a franchise, but they learned yeah. something through my process, write me a testimonial. So yeah. you'll see hundreds of testimonials and all kinds of, you know, resources, books, and other things that you may want to check out. Uh, and also the contact me form. So if you are interested in starting your journey, how do you, you know, you're curious, you want to learn more about franchising. Absolutely. I'll follow right. I'll follow right back up with you and uh, we can begin a conversation.
0: Fantastic. Again, that's the daily uh, daily is D a L Y. And, uh, Kim, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic, uh, interview. Um, I think uh, we've got a lot of information here and hopefully some of you are going to go down this road. I may take Kim up on this and go down through the process myself, by the way. So, uh, I'm totally curious and you know, me, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I've got my, uh, Got my fingers in a lot of different things. So, anyway, Kim, thanks again. Well, Wonderful to have you on the show.
1: It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much.
0: We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully, you enjoy that. Listen, I still think this is a great opportunity. I think for some of you, you really ought to, you know, call uh, Kim up and and see if there might be a fit. I mean, you know, even for something that's kind of more passive, et cetera. I just think she's. Uh, She's a smart cookie, and I, I really uh, really enjoyed talking to her. Um, one other thing that we didn't mention is there's these other things, too, where, you know, we don't really talk about it, but, you know, if you get into the franchise stuff and you start um, buying a bunch of them, there is an opportunity, too, at some point to uh, sell these multiple franchises sometimes for a much higher valuation and essentially get a big liquidity moment. So for those of you who are interested in that kind of stuff, it's you know worth considering as well. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.